the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. John Gordon is back on the podcast, and we're going to have a great conversation today about getting out of a slump, staying positive in leadership, and energy drains. I mean, if you've led for more than 20 minutes, you've been in this territory. I really think this is going to help you. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by Glue. The people in your community want to connect with the church now, and there are easier ways than ever to do it through Glue. Go to get.glue.us slash reach to sign up today. And it's brought to you by Compassion. Compassion partners with local churches in the developing world to break the cycle of poverty. If you need a partner with that, go to compassion.com slash carry to explore what they can do for you. Well, John Gordon, as a lot of you know, has so many best-selling books, and his talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles have been put to the test by Fortune 500 companies, pro and college sports teams, school districts, hospitals, and nonprofits. He's written 28 books, including 15 bestsellers and five children's books. And his latest tips have been featured on the Today Show, CNN, CNBC, The Golf Channel, Fox and Friends, and numerous magazines. He's worked with the LA Dodgers, In-N-Out Burgers, the LA Rams, Campbell's Soup, Dell, Public, Southwest Airline, the Miami Heat, the Colorado Rockies, Clemson Football, Northwest Mutual, West Point Academy, and so much more. And today, he's here for you. So there you go. Hey, I really appreciate everything that you do to support this podcast. It's why we can do this. 30 million downloads in. Never thought I'd say that, but you know why that is? Because you subscribe. You subscribe, you share, you tell your friends. And when you do that, I am so deeply grateful. And I really want to thank you for that. Uh, I do not take this for granted, but the more you do that, the more we are able to make this show better and we are committed to making it better. I know a lot of you really enjoyed the Integrity Series. We've got one on AI coming up this fall you want to be paying attention to. And uh, well, we want to bring you the very best in what is going to help you lead in a way that you never thought possible. And on that note, are you ready to revolutionize the way your church connects with your community? Then you're going to want to learn about the Glue Explorer Connection Program. Here's how it works. Glue partners with renowned Christian outreach campaigns like He Gets Us, K-Love, and Churches Care. These campaigns are already touching base with millions of people across the country. Then, when someone's inspired by these campaigns to ask questions about their faith or connect with the church, all they have to do is send a text. That's right. Just by texting in, Glue's innovative platform will seamlessly introduce them to a local church in their area. And then, guess what? This is where you come in. A pastor, ministry leader, or even a volunteer receives a notification on their platform. And guess what? You can start building a connection through texting. What really inspired me to share this message is that Glue has already made over 170,000 connections. So just think about that. Someone in your town right now, your community, who's got questions, what if they connected with your church? If you are ready to check this out, it's totally free. Go to get.glue.us slash reach to create your account today. People in your community want to connect with you. Go to get.glue.us slash reach to sign up and join a growing number of churches who are transforming their outreach strategies 
using technology. And I'd love to highlight another ministry that is all about the local church, and it's a ministry that we support, I love. It's called Compassion International. Compassion's mission, I know you've heard about them, but do you know what they do? They release children from poverty in Jesus' name, but they do it with local churches. So there's no like compassion office that people go to. It's all through local churches. 2.2 million children are being sponsored right now. They're all being cared for by a local church in their community, every single one. So Compassion partners with 8,400 churches to do this. And if you're a church leader, they can help your church by being the answer you have to what are you doing about global poverty. So I know as a pastor, Compassion offered our church an amazing opportunity for outreach. It allowed everyone in our church to personally engage in mission. We've even arranged trips through Compassion, etc. So you want to check it out, go to Compassion.com slash carry to explore resources that Compassion has available for your church. That's Compassion.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And now, without further ado, my conversation with John Gordon. John, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Carrie. Yeah. So the older I get, the more I realize so much of what shapes us starts in childhood. And you are talking openly about some of the things that you really struggled with. We talked on this podcast before about sort of your epiphany in your 20s where your wife was like, all this negativity, right? But it goes back further than that because who we are as adults comes out of our childhood. Can you give us more background into maybe your upbringing and how it shaped who you are? Yeah, I grew up in a Jewish Italian family with a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining. And there was a lot of love, a lot of love with my parents. They were very involved in my life, but there was also a lot of negativity. I would say there was a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. I had a biological father who left when I was a year old and my mom remarried when I was five to my stepfather, who was the Italian New York City police officer. And again, very Hmm. loving, but you know, again, quite negative a lot of times. And he taught me the world was out to get you and you have to take on this world. And there's a part in the book where I share how I was, I was pitching and I kept hitting one batter after another as a pitcher. By the time the fourth batter get, got up there and he was shaken, I mean, he knew he was getting hit. Everyone knew he was getting hit and I hit him too. And my dad was giving me this dirty look on the sidelines as he was watching and he was the manager. So he was just pissed. And I kept looking over, looking over, looking over. And I was just this kid that was like terrified. And my dad came over, took the ball away, told me to go play shortstop. And that was it. But I just remember that moment in my life. And it, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a tough moment, just that pressure and feeling it. And my dad believed in me, but there was also a lot of expectation that you were going to perform. So I think that's when it started. And I got a lot of my recognition as an athlete, as someone who performed at a higher level because I was a really good athlete and I stood out. So I always got praise and recognition through sports and through performance. So my identity was always tied to that. But my dad, again, was was a tough dad, taught me how to fight, taught me how to box because I lived in a neighborhood that was like Lord of the Flies. Hmm. And so there was always battles going on with, with the neighbors and with the kids. They were all the same age and we would just fight and battle. And there were some older kids and I just remember just growing up in a, in a very like, um, again, it was, a, it was a good neighborhood. There was a lot of freedom. We played a lot. We battled a lot, but it was also a lot of unwritten rules. I saw a lot that maybe I shouldn't have seen from the older kids and the girls they liked and things like that. So I do remember one moment though where my 
brother was allowing himself to be bullied. He was allowing this other kid to just hit him and slapping while my brother just took it. And my dad was watching from the front door. And when my brother walked in, my dad said, don't you ever let anyone do that to you again. If you do, you're going to have to fight me. And I'm a lot worse than he is. So you better stand up for yourself or I'm going to be the one you're fighting. And so the next Whoa. day, this kid went to pick up, pick on my brother and my brother had to fight the kid. And my brother wind up walloping him. I mean, just, just, just right hook, left hook, right, right hook, left hook. I mean, my brother like wasn't even a fighter, but he just swung away and he just connected and beat the kid up pretty bad and came in and my dad watched it. And I remember, cause I'm a little kid and I'm watching this happening as this is going on. And I'm like standing, I think by my dad. So I'm seeing this all transpire. And he was very happy he did that. And my brother said, if you want more, you come back and see me. So literally like a few hours later, the kid knocks at the door and says, I want more. So my brother goes out and beats him up some more. Like this was my neighborhood. This was my life. So, so I grew up in that kind of uh, way. But again, a lot of love but a lot of negativity, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, and you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations, and a lot of striving. You work with uh, top CEOs, top athletes, like the best of the best. I mean, you're always, every time we connect, you just flew back from somewhere, you know, coaching an NBA team or an NFL team or uh, with a bunch of Fortune 500 CEOs, et cetera, et cetera. In my experience, almost 600 interviews into this, John, a lot of, quote, high-performing adults have some kind of trauma in their past. What, what do you see? Like, where are you seeing that trend as well? Negative messaging, uh, sometimes dads who left or died, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you see as like a pain in childhood and as that translates into a recipe for adulthood later? Totally. I remember telling my mom that I was depressed and I wanted to kill myself when I was a, a middle school kid. And my mom just freaked out. What do you mean you want to kill yourself? What do you mean? And she started screaming and going crazy. And I remember saying, my mom, it's okay. It's okay. I, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So I forgot my feelings. And here I was trying to make my mom feel better. It snapped me out of it in the moment, but maybe years later, it still affects you. You don't know, right? So mm. I do know that we all have a hole in our soul. We have a wound that needs to be healed. And those wounds come about from traumas, from mm -hmm. our past experiences. And when you go through those experiences, it does something to you. It causes that trauma. It causes that separation where you know really, you no longer feel connected and one with your creator. Or maybe you never felt connected, but you do feel separate. And so what happens is because we feel separate, we're always trying to fill the hole in our soul with achievements, with success, with fame, with celebrity, with wealth, with power, whatever it may be, because we all have this hole, we all fill it with different things and it manifests itself in different ways in different people. And so some people want to be famous. So they try to fill the hole with that. Other people want to be powerful. So they try to strive for power. Other people want accomplishments. And let's face it, the perfectionist actually feels unworthy. And because they feel mm -hmm. unworthy, they have to work hard and become a perfectionist to receive validation, to get recognition, to get praise. So it's two sides of the same coin, but it's the same issue. 
And so we're always filling that hole in different ways. And it makes you strive. It does lead to accomplishments. It does lead to success. But eventually, if you don't heal the hole, what happens is in constraint theory, you'll never rise above the level of your constraint. And so the constraint will eventually hold you back. And then it starts to push down on you. Then the wound gets infected and then it leads to your demise. So we have an opportunity to heal it. And everyone does need to heal the whole in our soul. And I'm convinced that God does not let you go through life without healing it. And so many people try to mask the pain. They try to fill it with so many different things that cover up the pain because they don't want to feel the pain. We spend billions of dollars in pain medications and other sources to try to mask the pain that we feel to try to cover that hole in our soul, but it doesn't do it. It actually leaves us feeling more and more empty. And even when we have success, we still feel empty. I mean, I've worked with CEOs and coaches that have won championships and they said, you know, they didn't really feel any better after winning the championship. They didn't feel like they had this incredible sense of accomplishment when they won or achieved the IPO. Like it actually never feels like they expect it to feel because you can't fill a spiritual void with physical things. Let me say it again. Mm. You can't fill a spiritual void with physical things. And that's what we try to do. So yes, it makes us strive and it can be a great success motivator, but eventually it will lead to your demise and your destruction if you don't heal it along the way. And so what happens is the pain surfaces and it's actually a good thing. The pain is letting you know that it needs to be healed. Just like you have a, a broken arm. Well, guess mm. what? It means you have to heal the arm and that's why you have the pain. Don't use it. Well, you're having the pain to let you know healing needs to take place. Stop masking it. God allows us to feel the pain so we can actually go, okay, I need to heal on this journey so I can become all that God created me to be, so I can be whole and healthy. And that is the journey of life, to move from that H-O-L-E, that hole in our soul, to becoming whole, W-H-O-L-E. Hmm. If you think back to the neighborhood where you grew up, I... You know, I imagine that there are kids in that kind of environment who either imploded or exploded. You And what I mean by that, imploded, like turned in on themselves, ended up with drug, alcohol, addictions, etc. You can see some, I'm sure, the faces of the kids now. Then there are other people like you who are like, no, I'm going to be a performer. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be a top athlete. I'm going to make something in my life. Do you have any thoughts on what causes some people to implode and some people to explode in sort of performance? Like uh, what the difference totally. is? Yeah. Totally. It's the it's that feeling of unworthiness as we go backwards, as we talked about. You have this feeling of unworthiness. So for some people, you feel unworthy, so you just mm. give up. You don't mm. even try. You just retreat. Other people, you feel unworthy, but you strive to then get your accomplishment and become worthy through success mm. and validation in that way. And so the difference is, you know, what are we being motivated by? Do we feel, is there something within us, within us that we can become something? And it really goes to our, our state of mind in many ways. We're going to talk about that. That's a big part of the mm -hmm. one truth. When you have a low state of mind, the circumstance happens and it bothers you. You don't deal with it well. When you have a high state of mind, you're able to, to rise above, move forward, through the circumstance. Let's look at people who come back from the war, for instance. Eight to 20% have PTSD. They say 8%, but it's more like 20% because a lot go unreported. So other people come back from that same war and don't have PTSD. Other people can go through the same exact battle and have the same exact experience 
and maybe it's not exactly the same, but go through a lot of the same mm -hmm. things and see the same things. And yet they don't. So what is the difference? Why do some yeah. people struggle? Why do some people don't? They're trying to figure that this out in science and so forth. And a lot of it has to do, I'm convinced, with, with our mind and our soul, how we perceive the circumstances in our life. If you look at the circumstance and you believe that circumstance has power over you, that lowers your state of mind. And now the circumstance has power and you become powerless. If you believe you can rise above your circumstance, that the circumstance does not define you, that you can move forward despite your circumstance, that raises your state of mind. And now you move forward with more power. High state of mind, low state of mind. What characterizes a low state of mind? A lot of clutter, a lot of thought, a lot of worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, insecurity. What characterizes a high state of mind? A lot of clarity, a lot of focus, a lot of positivity, a lot of confidence, and a lot of courage. And so you can have a high state or a low state, and one will propel you forward, and one will make you retreat from life. And that's a state of consciousness. That's a state of, I believe, a, a state of like your, your inner being, your inner spirit. I think a big part of it is spirit. Now, scientists hmm. will, will cause you to look at the brain and look at different parts of the brain. But as we'll get into, it's your mind and your soul that actually, and your spirit that influence a lot of what your brain is actually doing and how it's functioning along the way. The brain is the hardware. It's where the activation happens. We're often looking to the brain in neuroscience these days, thinking thoughts are created in the brain, but no one has ever found a thought inside of a brain. Yes, I believe it's where the activation happens. And so you're always, through your mind and your soul, that's your operating system and your hardware is your brain. The operating system is running and it's running on your brain. So different events, different traumatic experiences, what we go through, those cause separation within you. So even at the neurological level of narcissists, for instance, a narcissist has experienced some kind of trauma, some kind of past experience that makes them feel separate. Mm -hmm. And they actually cut off certain parts of their brain to protect parts of the brain. So even at the neurological level, there's a manifestation of the separateness that they feel. And so that's why they focus on self. That's why they're not mm. focusing on others because they are self-preserving. They don't care about anyone else because they don't feel like they're part of everyone else. They feel like they are just themselves and they have to protect themselves. So because they feel separate, they act separate and they act alone. Now, a narcissist also suffers from mental health disorders as well. Most narcissists also suffer from common mental health disorders and issues like depression, like mm. bipolar, like severe anxiety. They have much of the same symptoms. Well, if you think about it as a, as a person with mental health issues, you feel separate. The more you go from oneness to separateness, you go from positive to negative. What do people report when they feel depressed and down? I feel isolated, alone, disconnected, sad. They retreat from others. They retreat from life. They become separate. And that's what we have to understand. As we move towards oneness, we move towards wholeness and health. As we move towards separateness, we move towards despair, loneliness, and isolation, and disconnection. And this is the whole point that I'm trying to teach here, because the more connected we are, the more powerful we'll be, the more disconnected we are, the more separate we will feel. So going back to your initial question, I would say that, does life separate you? Do you allow the circumstances to make you feel separate? Do you feel alone, or do you feel like you're part of something? Do you feel like you have something to live for, 
Or do you feel like life is a big waste of time? All of those factors, your eternal mental structure, your eternal soul structure of what you believe and how you show up and whether you feel separate or connected will ultimately determine how you feel and then how you take on the world. I love how you point out that some days, and I think most of us vacillate, vacillate, I should say, between high state and low state of mind, right? Some days traffic doesn't bother us. Uh, getting a no doesn't bother us. Other days, the smallest thing can set us off, right? These dishes aren't loading properly in the dishwasher or my lawn needs cutting again or whatever, right? Um, what's under that? Like, because I think a lot of us see ourselves in the middle, right? And you asked me a really perceptive question before we hit record. It's like, Carrie, how are pastors doing right now? And I'm like, you know, generally not well. I've read the data. And like when 2020 hit, COVID hit, we just got sliced open and I'm not sure a lot of people have recovered. So I would say there's probably a lot of people listening to this right now who would say, maybe I was in a high state of mind three years ago, four years ago, but I'm in a low state of mind now. What, what is under that when you kind of vacillate between good days, bad days, good season, bad season? T tell me more. That's such a great question. And, and when you think about it though, there's, a, there's an ebb and flow to everything. Mm -hmm. And what happened during COVID though? There was separation. Right. There was a lot of there was a lot of aloneness, a lot of isolation, a lot of disconnection. So people mm -hmm. really suffered with their mental health during that time. COVID for many was mm -hmm. the great separator. And because of that, they were now tuned into the TV all the time and the news. Mm -hmm. And they're being bombarded with all of this negativity. Let's face it, the media is the Bible of the fearful. And so we are <laughs> tuning into the Bible of the fearful and feeling more and more fear. What does fear do? Fear divides, fear separates. The root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. Mm -hmm. And so these people are feeling separate, anxious, divided, and powerless. And so that's what's going on. So many people are feeling that way. We've got to bring these pastors who are struggling back to healing and wholeness and oneness. We've got to bring people who are struggling back to healing, wholeness, and oneness big part of this teaching is to understand there's an ebb and flow. You're going to experience mm. high states and low states. It's normal to experience a low state. You're not going to be in a high state all the time. There are mm. days that nothing is going well when you're in a low state. There are days when, you know what, things are happening. It's not going well, but you're like, you know what? It's okay. I got this. I'll overcome mm. this. You get rejected in sales. I got the next sale. Next rejection. It's okay. The next one's going to be great. And yet another time you get the rejection, you're like, oh, my career's over. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Over. I'm done. And I'm, I'm unplayable. Yeah. I use the analogy in the book where you go on a date, you know, the single guy goes on a date and, and he says something a little stupid and the girl doesn't like it and it doesn't go well to date. And now she will not go out with him again. So he goes on a second date. So now he's a little nervous. Now he's hesitant. Now he's overthinking. He has revved up thought, which actually creates more clutter and lowers your state of mind. So now he's even feeling worse, feeling more and more separate, not feeling connected, not feeling one. And now the day doesn't go well either. So now he's questioning everything. And now he's dealing with a slump, which is also happens in sports. We see it all the time. This makes so much sense when you understand how thoughts work. The more thoughts you have, the more clutter you have, the lower the state of mind. The more yep. clarity you have, the less thought, the higher the state. I always draw two circles for my audiences and for athletes, especially thousand dots and three dots, which mind will perform at a higher level. One circle has a thousand. The other circle has three. 
Mm-hmm. The one with three dots will perform at a higher level. We know that. So as we're going through this ebb and flow of high states and low states, it's important to know when the roller coaster is going down and you feel like the roller coaster is going to crash because as it's going down, you feel like it's going to crash. You don't know the roller coaster goes back up. So let's just say you've mm-hmm. never been on a roller coaster before. And so as you're going down, what do you want to do? You want to escape. You want to jump off the roller coaster. And that's how many of us feel in our life when we're mm-hmm. going through a low state of mind. We want to escape. We want to jump off. We feel separate. So we're trying to fill the hole. What do we fill it with? Drinking and alcohol mm-hmm. and, and drugs and video games. And, and sometimes it's work. All sorts of things to make us feel better to fill that hole. I had someone the other day said, John, I keep building more and more companies and creating more and more success because when I stop, I get so negative and down. This person is actually addicted wow. to success because- the success keeps them busy. The business keeps them busy. So they don't have time to think to deal with their issues that need healing. I said, I bet you're dealing with this, this, and this. They said, how did you know? How did you know? I said, I bet you feel really far from God. How did you know? Because if you were connected to God, you wouldn't feel that way. You would feel mm. more joy, more peace, more love, more purpose. You wouldn't need to fill it with things because I know why you're feeling it. If you're telling me you were filling it for ambition and love and joy, okay, then I would know, but you're filling it to actually stay busy so you don't deal with negativity or have negative thoughts. This is a great sign letting you know what's happening. So we are always escaping the reality of life and the disconnection that we feel when we're going down that roller coaster. One of my tips, and it's so simple, is just to stay on the roller coaster. Mm. Don't jump off, stay on, ride it back up. Remember, nothing is broken. Nothing needs to be fixed. This really is helpful for kids when I teach teenagers this because they think something's wrong. They have all these negative thoughts. They have all this clutter. And then I say to them, do your negative thoughts come from you? They're like, yeah, of course they're in my head. But then my next question is, who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you Mm -hmm. ever choose a negative thought? They're like, no, I wouldn't. No, they're not coming from you. You wouldn't choose a negative thought that sabotaged you or said you were hopeless or not powerful enough, not strong enough, not successful Mm -hmm. enough, not pretty enough, not handsome enough. You would never choose those thoughts and yet they're always coming Mm -hmm. in. So once you realize there's a spiritual battle going on and these negative thoughts are trying to divide you and separate you and cause you to actually feel discouraged and then give up and then feel divided and anxious and be defeated. Once you recognize this, then what happens is you go, okay, these negative thoughts are coming in. I don't have to believe the lies. I know they're not coming from me. And now you stop beating yourself up. You stop feeling shame and guilt. And then you can actually start winning the battle of your mind. And I did this with a suicidal teenager. And once he understood that his negative thoughts were not coming from him, it was a game changer. Because what was happening? He thought something was wrong. He thought he was broken. His parents now think he's broken. They think something's Mm. wrong. They don't realize how thoughts work and the ebb and flow of thoughts. And so they now are trying to fix him or get him fixed, which is leading to more thought and more Mm. clutter and a lower Mm. state of mind. Within a day after teaching him this, that's when I knew I needed to write this book, The One Truth. I'm like, I've got to get this book out there into millions of hands. Kids need to read this because this will save lives. The next day, his parents said, what have you done to him? He's great. He's normal. One day, Carrie, one day. One day of teaching him this, of him understanding the truth, changed everything. And I just reached out to him recently. How you doing? Doing great, Mr. Gordon. High state of mind, staying on the roller coaster. Knowing that I'm going to go back down again. There'll be days I will. But when I'm in that state, nothing's wrong. Nothing's broken. 
the circumstance, okay, I'm looking, I'm looking outside right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the circumstance has power over me, causing me to have the lower state. I'm remembering my truth. I'm remembering the truth. I'm remembering where my power comes from inside, not outside. I'm going to start moving from the inside out from seeking back to knowing. I know that I'm one with God. I know that I have this power, this ability to take on this world, to change this world. I don't have to be defined by this world. I'm in the world, but not of the world. And I'm now going to move forward in this powerful way. And I'm going to overcome. I stay on the roller coaster. And it's amazing. Your state of mind starts to go up right away. It is interesting, you know, the roller coaster metaphor, because I think you're right. We have good days and bad days. And it's like, okay, this is going to go up and I'm not going to get thrown out. I've got my seatbelt on, you know, 99.99999% of people make it through this roller coaster and I'll be one of those people. But, you know, when you think about a three-year slump, and we are seeing momentum in a number of churches right now, which is so encouraging. And But I would say the majority are still probably struggling to get their way back. So you've coached a lot of sport teams. Say you go into an NBA team that's 0 for 11 on the season and, you know, a bad, 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 bad start. And that's a big slump. And they had a losing season last year and didn't make the playoffs and so on and so forth. When the slump gets bigger like that, what what do you see as being effective to help people look up? Couple of things. And I deal with this often with high performers, with athletes, mm-hmm. with teams, with successful people, you name it. Tampa Bay Lightning, I was yep. brought in to speak. They had just lost in the first round a couple of years ago. And so they're devastated. They're down. They were picked to win the Stanley Cup. And so they're I trying think, to I think that was out. Toronto that knocked them out. Not that I'm bragging or anything, but well, yeah. that was that was that was this year. That was this that, year. Toronto this year. knocked them out. Right. Yeah. Toronto did. And the coach actually came through our positive leadership program, Sheldon Key from Toronto. Which oh, is yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That. So yeah. and then guy. Toronto fell apart. What else is new, John? Come on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but but they won for the first time in like what, 20 years? I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. So, I love that. Tampa Sheldon Bay has did. a lot of belief, a lot, a lot of belief, a lot of optimism. Was a mm-hmm. special guy. Came up to me at the event. Hey, I'm a minor league hockey coach. Love this. Really working on positive leadership. I think it's the way forward. A year later, he texts me. Hey, I just got the job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm the head coach now. They want no way. Oh, that yeah. is really cool. It was really cool. Really cool to see this happen. We've had a lot of coaches go through and have that happen. So I, I love seeing that. But. Few years ago, Tampa Bay Lightning loses in the first round. This is several years ago when they're picked to win the Stanley Cup. And I go to speak to the team during training camp, and they're all down. They're pessimistic. They're searching for answers. They got a lot of revved up thinking. And so I gave them research. Teams that feel like they're defending something don't do very well. But teams that feel like they're attacking a new opportunity do great. I said, stop defending your status as a team that should win the Stanley Cup, and just attack a new opportunity. And it's like I told a minor league hockey player who was really struggling, hadn't scored a goal in six games. He's fearful. He wants to make it in the NHL. He's now thinking. He's on the roller coaster. He is ready to jump off. He is so frustrated. He was at his wit's end. I talked to him. I shared this whole framework with him. Ultimately, I shared the idea that love casts out fear. All you got to get back to is loving the game loving playing, love the competition, love competing, just love the battle in the moment. Stop worrying about the outcome and love the moment, love the opportunity, love what you get to do. He's like, man, I just got to get back to loving it because I've been fearing the outcome, fearing the performance, fearing not playing well. 
And, and that's what people are dealing with. It's fear that is dividing and separating. But what does love do? Love creates connection. Connection mm. creates clarity. Clarity creates confidence. And confidence creates courage. That's why when you're loving something, you have all this confidence and courage. You're in the moment you're battling. It's what made Michael Jordan so great. He loved to beat you. He mm. loved to win. He actually loved to destroy you. He wasn't thinking about missing the shot in the moment. He's only thinking about beating you and loving the competition while he's doing it. So I encourage people to get back to that, whatever you're doing. Like, so a pastor, I would tell this pastor, listen, remember what, what, what got you here in the first place. You love the Lord. Mm. You, you love sharing Jesus with others. What is your purpose? Why are you here? We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. You've allowed the negativity to get to you. You've allowed the negative frequency that your brain is now tuning into to actually make you feel separate. You're allowing the enemy to divide you and separate you, to try to keep you from your destiny and the message and the mission that you're on to make an impact in this world, to lead people to Jesus, to create more connection, to save souls, to transform lives. You're meant to do that and the enemy is keeping you from doing that. I wanna encourage you to get back to, to loving what you're here to do, to loving God. Get back to oneness with God, spending more time in the healing of God that you need. Because there's a hole in your soul and you're feeling separate. And so this is a sign that you need to heal and allow God to heal you and heal your soul. And again, a mind governed by the flesh leads to death. A mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. Romans 8, 5, 6. This is it right here. If you're allowing your mind to be governed by the flesh and everything going on in this world, it's going to lead to your death. But if you are allowing your mind to be governed by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're healing in the oneness of God and being one with God, one spirit with him, right? Corinthians 6, 17, one spirit with him. You're joined with the Lord, one with him. What happens is now you start to have the renewing of your mind, the healing of your mind, the healing of your soul. And this is what we have to get back to. We have to get back to healing mm. with God so that we can heal others. And what's happened is all these pastors, a lot of people in this world, are feeling more and more separate and disconnected than ever. And they need to feel more one than ever. And that's what we have to get back to. Am I making sense? You're making a lot of sense. I'd love for you to define, because I know you're really passionate about this insight, this understanding, you're teaching it around the world. How would you define, like, what is the one truth? Yeah, the one truth is that everything comes down, as we've been saying, to oneness and separateness. So think about a team that feels one. They feel powerful mm. and connected. Think about a team that feels separate or divided. They feel very weak. Think about how you feel when you feel one, feel connected to, to God. You feel joyful. You feel peace. You feel power. You feel love. Think about when you feel very disconnected from God. You feel very anxious and worried and chronically stressed like so many aren't right now. And so everything can be explained in terms of oneness and separateness. And once you realize there's a battle going on between good and evil— and that evil is always trying to separate and divide. And there's a power, God, that's always trying to unite you back to himself, back to oneness. Everything makes sense, as I've been sharing. Do I feel one? Do I feel separate? Now, the brain is an antenna. And so from the one truth standpoint, we're always tuning into either a negative frequency or a positive frequency. For those who are pastors or Christians, they understand the story of the garden, or most people understand the story of the garden of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. They were in the garden and there were two voices, two frequencies, the voice of the serpent and the voice of God. Which one were they listening to? The voice of the serpent was lying to them. 
calling them to less, but trying to make them feel like they would become more. And then there was the voice of God saying, hey, I've given you everything and here's all your abundance and you have everything that you need. There's nothing you lack. And so God was calling them to a place of abundance and being a voice that was calling them to be more and be one with him. And so the Old Testament is a story of separation. And it's really cool when you think about this because hmm. when, I, when I wrote this book, I'm like, you know, this isn't just about, it's not about the Christian religion because I'm not here to preach religion. I'm here to share oneness and separateness and lead people to the truth. And from that standpoint, if you understand that the Old Testament story is an ancient Jewish story, it's not a Christian story. It's an ancient mm -hmm. Jewish Hebraic story. Think about that. And it's a story about separation. So the problem of, of separation mm -hmm. existed long before Jesus even walked the earth. There was a problem of separation. Mm -hmm. And so... Jesus came along to provide the solution to bring us back into oneness. We can go into that later, but it's important to just understand that everything comes down to this separation and this force that's separating us. With the five Ds, there is doubt, there is distortion, lies, negative thoughts, there is discouragement, as we talked about, there is distractions, and there is the division that happens when we allow those Ds to take hold and we feel divided and we feel separate and we feel weak. And so that is what's going on for people on a daily basis. And they don't realize that's what's happening. They really are dealing with a separation that's occurring, but it's because they're tuning into the negative frequency that's allowing them to feel separate. They're tuning into the negative frequency and negative thoughts that are separating them. And the idea mm -hmm. is that we need to tune into the voice of God more. We need to tune into the word of God. We need to tune into the spirit of God. And as we tune into that, that's when we start to experience more oneness and more wholeness. And if you look at the Bible and you start reading the prescription of the New Testament, that's what he calls us to do. Like every, hmm. okay, I wrote this book not knowing a lot about the Bible and scriptures, right? So here I am writing it, God's giving me these ideas and I'm writing it. And then I'm talking to theologians, matching up what I'm getting and what I'm writing with scripture. I'm like, oh yeah, John, it's right here. Oh yeah, John, it's right here. John, it's right here. And I think that was a good thing. Because uh -huh. I'm not writing it from this Christian pastor standpoint. I'm writing it from this business author, leadership author, who's getting these ideas and understanding oneness and separateness, teaching it from a high state of mind, low state of mind. But now I'm recognizing, wait, there's something greater here. There's oneness and separateness and everything plays out according to that. Wait, there's negative thoughts and positive thoughts. And then I'm walking one day and it hits me. The brain is an antenna. It just comes to me. I feel like God gave me that. Okay, the brain's an antenna. Yes, that makes sense. Because if, if you have a damaged antenna, you start to tune into a more negative frequency. That's why mm. brain health is so important. And so as I start recognizing this and I start writing this, then I'm recognizing, wow, the scriptures are actually talking about the very things that I'm writing about in here and the solutions. And it's already there in the New Testament. And my good friend who's a non-duality teacher, a consciousness kind of guy, and we've had conversations over the years. He's the one who taught me initially about high state of mind, low state mm. of mind. When he taught me that, I kept thinking that's good and evil. Oh, that's that's the enemy, that's God. Mm. And then when I was going further into this and diving deeper into this, we had this conversation about Jesus and about, about the Bible. He said, you know what I love about the Bible? It offers a prescription and a solution on a help, how to help people have a higher state of mind. Like take every thought captive. Mm. Don't be transformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind what's happening from a spiritual perspective when we become one spirit with our creator, what's happening there. 
So the oneness was all there. And then, now I've been reading Oswald Chambers, by the way, and I'm reading- Oh, yeah. He talks about oneness a lot in, in the devotional. I'm like, I can't believe it. It's right there. So, so that's what oneness and separateness are all about. But, but if you want to just get practical, if, even from a business standpoint, I know the word integrity, for instance, comes from the word integer, which mm -hmm. means whole and complete. So a leader with integrity has wholeness and completeness. Right. They have oneness. There's no gap in their character. There's no gap between what they say and what they do. There's alignment. There's oneness versus the leader that we talked about. That's a narcissist. It's why mm -hmm. narcissists are weak leaders because there's a lot of gaps there or a leader with a big ego. Ego stands for edging God out. That ego separates you and makes you a weaker leader while humility connects you to others and to God and brings about oneness, which makes you a powerful leader. So this plays out in a very realistic, practical way as well, which I, I detail in the book. Yeah. So I've got a lot of questions. One of them is when you find yourself in that low state of mind, you've hinted at it, but you know, some pastors have been there for a little while. And is it a question of just reminding yourself of the truth, like overcoming the five Ds? What are some practical steps that leaders can take if they find themselves? I mean, obviously we all get in it for a couple hours, but if you're in a low state of mind for a week, a month, a year, a season, what are some keys to breaking out of that and getting back to the oneness from the separateness, the, the one truth? I'm so glad you asked that because as I wrote this book and at the end I say, you know, Jesus is the solution to the separation and I go mm -hmm. there. But then I had to think, wait a second, if Jesus is the answer, how come so many Christians are struggling? Bingo. How, many, how come so many pastors are struggling? With Why this? are so many pastors struggling with their mental health? Why are so many yeah. feeling depressed? isolated and, and down. And I realized that you could be saved in your spirit. And so when you get saved, your spirit is saved, but your soul still needs healing. Mm. And so we have a lot of pastors and a lot of people who have past wounds and traumas that their soul has never, be, never been fully healed. And so their soul still needs healing. It's encumbered by the past. They're still feeling the wounds of the past, the dysfunctions of the past. And so what happens is we have this baptism where you are dunked into the Holy Spirit. It's not meant to be a one-time event. It's like taking the, the cucumber and you put it into pickle juice. And if you just submerge it once and pull it out, it's not gonna do a whole lot to the cucumber. But if you submerge that cucumber in the pickle juice and it bathes in it, it will be transformed, it will be renewed, it mm. will be pickled. And in many ways that should represent healing, right? Or you take, you take dirty water and you just keep flushing mm -hmm. it out, flushing it out. And the more you flush it out, what happens is eventually that living water Jesus talked about, that spring within you actually flushes out all the dirt, all the stuff that you're dealing with all the debris in your mind, in your soul, you got to flush it out. So we got to bathe in the Holy Spirit and do that more often. And I don't believe that we're doing that enough. Mm -hmm. I believe that we may know about God and we may know we're going to heaven, but we're acting like we're living in hell and pastors mm -hmm. included. And so what happens is we got to take time to connect with God and mm -hmm. spend time with his word and with his, with his Holy Spirit and truly connect. And that means surrender. And so God gave me an acronym that's been around. P-R-A-Y has been around, P-R-A-Y, but I added E-R, prayer, on how people can start to connect more 
with God. And the P stands for praise, which we praise God. The R means we repent. We've got to repent of our past sins. Again, we let it go. We're repenting. We're asking for forgiveness. That allows the healing to start to take place because love and forgiveness heals the whole in our soul, and especially mm-hmm. the love and forgiveness of, of Jesus. A, we ask. We got we to gotta ask God for what we want. Why? We yield. And this is a big part right here. We've got to surrender and just mm. allow God's spirit to start to move through us and live through us. The other day I had the visual of a, of a lake and a river. Many of us are walking around like a lake and a lake doesn't have living water or living springs moving through it. Mm. And what's happening is because we're not bathing in the spirit, we're like lakes where we get toxic and the toxicity starts to build up. And if you know about lakes, they can become very unhealthy, but rivers mm-hmm. are always flowing. So rivers right. can be very healthy because you always have flowing, living water moving through it. And so we got to take time every day to surrender, to allow God's living water, his spirit to live through us on a daily basis. And I do that every day. In my depression, in my anxiety years ago, when my wife yeah. was going to leave me, literally leave me because I was such mm-hmm. a jerk, because I was negative. I was in the state that many of those pastors are in you know, now I was in that state then. And I don't judge Mm -hmm. anyone going through a tough time because I've been there. And it was a sign that I needed healing. So one Mm -hmm. of the things I started to do every day is I would take this walk of gratitude and prayer. And doing that day in and day out, I realized now, I didn't realize at the time, but why it helped me heal was because every day I was praying to God, tuning into God, surrendering to God. And all of a sudden I started to think differently act differently. His spirit started to live through me. I was being governed by the spirit, not the flesh. And that renewed my mind and it healed my mind. So why is essential? But then there's the E. A lot of times we, mm. we, we, we ask, we surrender, but the E is we must expect and right. we should expect and we should trust. So when I think of E, I think of trusting God. And a lot of mm. times I believe we've lost our trust in God. We don't really believe that God's going to deliver on his promises. We think God mm-hmm. is the God of, I of think the that's Bible. that's true. Yeah, and he's only he he only did his miracles in the Bible, but not anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. God is still delivering miracles every single day. And I see them over and over again. And I experience them and I talk to people who've experienced them. It's incredible the more you're open. So we expect, let's expect God to deliver honest promises. And guess what? God wants to heal you. He hmm. wants to heal you. Maybe not right now. I suffered from autoimmune issues for over 12 years where I can wow. only eat three kinds of food, seafood, some white rice, and some cooked steamed vegetables. I had to eat, I had to eat like baby food vegetables. Couldn't wow. even eat. I would get sick, whatever I ate for years. And I kept praying, God, heal me. God, heal me. I look back over time that what I realized was God was starving hmm. my flesh and he was lifting up my soul and my spirit and he was strengthening that. So that's what he was doing. Just like Jesus in the wilderness after all these years, that's what he was doing. And it actually made me better in the long run. But but that's what's happening for a lot of people now is that they are not trusting and expecting God's miracles. And I have experienced his healing. Didn't happen overnight, but I've experienced it. And now I've seen it. And I believe that we have to expect it in his time, not our time. And then finally, I think this is the big one for Christians is receive. Mm-hmm. We've got to receive God's blessings. And a lot of times we don't feel worthy to receive. So we don't allow God to do his miracles and we don't allow ourselves to receive his miracles and his blessings. And he really does want to bless us. And we have to believe that he's a father who wants to bless us and give us strength and give us the power to take on the challenges in the world. See, a lot of times people have dealt with so much dysfunction, 
so many challenges, so many circumstances, so many wounds. They're believing the lies of the enemy. So they basically are separated, disconnected. And so they've lost their trust in God. And that's the whole point of what the enemy's trying to do is actually get you not to trust in God, not to believe in God, to look at your circumstance. And the story of the Bible and the story of healing is all about looking to God and being one with God to allow the healing to take place. Wow. How did um, your physical healing with your diet restrictions uh, get reversed? What, what happened with that, John? Well, a lot of prayer, a lot, mm. of, a lot of surrender. I think that's a big part of it. And out of that, of just saying, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. I know you can. You know, in one touch, you can heal me. And I would say it over and over again. And out of the blue, my wife... Um, she found online this thing about Ion Biome that people were having a lot of success with this product called Ion Biome that's sold on Amazon. So I went on Amazon, I bought it, and I said, all right, I'm gonna give it a, a shot. I looked at all the reviews and it talked about how it really helped create this um, energetic pathway and alignment and communication pathway that allows your cells in your gut lining and your gut and the bacteria to start talking to each other. And because of the way they're electrically charged, it allows them to start working together and over time, it starts to heal your gut. Well, started doing it. And within three months, like transformed wow. my life. Yeah, I told Donald Miller about it. And, and then he's told a number of people about it. He always says, man, that dirty brown water stuff really works. Everyone says it works. And I'm, I, I'm not paid by them. I don't have any uh, ownership of it. But it was a game changer, a life changer for me, that one product. And I believe that was the result of prayer. It showed up at mm. the, right, the right moment, the right time. And then within a year, I noticed a major difference. And now I can eat pretty much whatever I want. But now I still try to eat really healthy based on just all the past experiences I've had. But I can occasionally enjoy a nice meal. You know how frustrating it was to not be able to have fellowship with people and go mm -hmm. out to eat and not be able to eat? I would always sit there and I couldn't eat at the dinners we were at. And I just sat there. It wasn't the same kind of connection, not being able to eat with everyone. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was, you know, again- a lot of people go through a lot worse and a lot of people deal with yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think mine are very small, what I had to deal with compared to what people have to deal with. But, but I did see God heal me in that. And yeah. my daughter, I'm seeing healing in her. She deals with a lot of stuff. I'm seeing, seeing healing in her. My son dealing with some challenges of the past when he was younger. I'm seeing healing happening him. It's hmm. been really cool to watch God heal our family over time. That's so good. And thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm glad you reminded me about the gratitude walks too, because I find if I get overwhelmed or in negative headspace, that a gratitude journal, a gratitude walk, as you talk about, can make a big difference. And really want to underscore what you said about defending versus advancing, or what, how, how would you describe it, attacking right? Attacking a new opportunity. Attacking, attacking okay. defending versus attacking. Yeah, I've got it in my notes now. Um, because I think you're right. There's this this thing about success. Like you deal with a lot of publicly traded companies too, right? You're only good as your last 90 days. Right. And then stock price is going down, might be going up, franchise, sports franchise. You're either winning or you're losing. You either you either came out on top or you lost. And and that that you know, that idea of falling in love with the game, I think is really helpful. Like, why did you get into ministry? Why did you get into leadership? Why did you start this company? Why did you start this church? I mean, that's, that's just so encouraging, John. I went and spoke today and I got to remind mm. myself every time I give a talk, like have fun. Like, I <laughs> right. fun. 
you're going to die, you know, in, in who knows how long, like, you know, you're 52, maybe you got 20, uh-huh. 30 years tops, you know, I see my, my great mentor, Ken Blanchard, who I love. And Ken uh-huh. is now 83 years old. He impacted my life in so many ways. Ken's not traveling anymore to do talks. He's still doing some Zooms, which is great. But I, I look at Ken, I'm like, that's going to be me at some point in my life. So you know what? Have fun and love it and just make a difference while you're there. And stop worrying about what people think of you. Pavarotti said, everybody wants the audience to love them, but I love the audience. See, the many uh, loving the audience, not worrying what they think of you, you now feel connected and you feel one with the audience. You don't feel separate. There is now oneness and there's their power. There's power. There's love. And of course, the talk is going to go better when they feel your love and you feel theirs and you feel oneness. Hmm. That's a really good thought. You know, I've also heard it described as uh, you forget about yourself and just think about God, think about the people that you're speaking to, and it always tends to go well. And it's when I'm thinking about myself or I'm thinking about how I'm doing, right? Or can I do as well as I did at the last talk or the last service or the last guy? It all it all falls apart once you. I know. Once you you love when they come up to you and say, "Oh, we had so and so, and he was awesome." Right as you're about yeah. to go speak, and that, I know. and that that can get you right in your head and thinking about yourself. And again, that's where the thoughts come in. We mm-hmm. have, we have to be wary of what's happening and aware of what's going on, and and understand a lot of times that's happening. It's the wound that's driving us. So are we yeah. acting out of our yeah. wound mm-hmm. and our separation? Are we acting out of our wholeness and our health? Right. Going back to pastors, those who are struggling, I guarantee they have some kind of separation in their past, some kind of wound that needs to be healed. Mm-hmm. And the experience or the circumstance right now is just revealing what they're going through. And as they move towards wholeness and healing, it's going to take them to a much healthier place. And then also in another level of their influence and impact as they heal. Well, 52 is a really interesting stage to John, because if my math is right, that means you've got over two decades in this more positive space. Is that right? Yeah, it was about, like um, at 29 or 30 that the big yeah, change happened? Yeah, I was around 30, 31, so almost 20 years. Yeah, now. almost 20 years. So give yourself a few more years and you'll spend half your life in the positive space, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I think what's encouraging when you look back on these 20 years you've generally stayed in a higher state of mind and you have low moments. When you, when you look back at that, has there been one or two keystone habits, linchpin things that you do, whether it's a gratitude walk or whatever, because you know the teachings are so deep that you give, like you've got lots and lots of tips, but if you're like, hey guys, turn this one dial tomorrow and you'll see a difference, what, what would that be? No doubt, it's talking to yourself, don't listen to yourself. So when those negative thoughts come in, and again, you're not really listening to yourself, it's negative thoughts not coming from you, but those negative thoughts are coming in and you think they're from you, don't listen to them. Talk to yourself with words of encouragement, with words of life, and speak those words often. So for me, it's anytime those negative thoughts start to come in, I'm responding with truth. I'm responding with words of encouragement. I'm responding with certain phrases that that keep me going, like, have fun, make a difference. No one's going to care about this 20 years from now. Don't take yourself too seriously. You know, just mm. love it. Love the moment. You know, so it's it's often the words we say that gives us energy and life. My wife, got to tell you this, 
few months ago, she was feeling really down. She said, I'm getting old. Mm. I'm sore. My body's breaking down. I'm not going to be like I used to be. Like, that's it. I'm done. I'm like, no, you're not done. What are you doing? She's 55. She's not old. And so I go away for a speaking engagement. I come back. She's like completely different. She's all energized. She's bouncing around the house. Like, what's going on here? Do you get a boyfriend or something? <laughs> She's like, no, no, I met with the health coach. And, you know, she got this intensive testing that tests your blood work, your genes, and your DNA. And they told her, this is really rare. We don't see this often. You have the genes of an Olympic athlete is what they told her. So now she's walking around the house like, I am an Olympic athlete. I am an Olympic athlete. She's saying over and over again, you want to play tennis tomorrow? I'll crush you because I'm an Olympic athlete. (laughs) I kid you not, the pain goes away. The soreness goes away. She stops complaining. She's now working out harder than ever. She is driving. She's lost weight. She looks amazing. She's feeling great. It really made me realize the words we say and the thoughts we think actually becomes who we are. So start saying, I am strong. I am powerful. I am a child of God. Like, people often laugh at that, but you know what? It's true. Those words, those thoughts are powerful. And we are tuning into those thoughts all the time. And the more we tune into these positive thoughts, they do uplift us. Think about laughter. Think about positivity. It uplifts you. Think about negative thoughts. How does that make you feel? It brings you down. And so we've got to each day spend more time lifting ourselves up. So that's what I do. I talk to myself instead of listening to myself is a really great practical tip that I do. And then- So good. Yeah, I I love that tip. And And I also- you know, I'm, I'm really big on, on just re- reminding myself to, to love the audience and just to love mm. the moment. And just, I'll say often now, I am one with you, Lord. Mm. I am one with you. On my own, I am powerless, but I surrender and I am one with you. And I'll just say that. And in that saying I am one, in that oneness, I find peace. And whenever I start to feel anxious, I'll just say also, I trust in you, God. I'm anxious right now, but I trust in you. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know how we're going to work this out, but I trust in you. And I find myself when I'm not doing that, getting more anxious, more stressed, more overwhelmed. The minute I return to that trust and that oneness and reminding myself, Mm -hmm. Lord, I'm one with you, I feel more peace. One of the things I've noticed about your writing is, you know, and you've got books that have sold millions of copies, but you sort of, and you've been a Christian for decades now. I mean, a later in life conversion. Actually, 16, right? 17 years, yeah. Seven, only 17 years. So yeah. you started your writing before you became a Christian. Yep. I actually wrote The Energy Bus as I was uh, follow, starting to follow Jesus and got wow. baptized. And people said they could actually see the, the, the change in the story and literally see the spirit move through me in the story. And it was my first mm. book. It's now sold over millions of cop, you know, three, four million copies. And no doubt, um, the Holy Spirit was moving through me during that time. It was a very powerful experience, you know, giving my life to Jesus, writing this book and, and changing my life. Well, what's interesting is you become more explicit in your theology and sharing your faith over the last few years. And I'm wondering, you know, because you're sharing this with teams, sports teams, businesses, et cetera, et cetera, many of whom would say, hey, we're not Christian, man. And yet at the end, you basically got the gospel in this book. Why did you choose to use the explicitly theological route as opposed to just, you know, the ideas 
And then, you know, good footnotes and you know that, hey, this is all biblical, but I'm just going to put out the, the, the popular version. Why did you choose to be specific? Yeah, it may not be the best business decision. You know, I speak to a lot of companies. You a do. Lot of, a lot of organizations, a lot of CEOs, uh, you know, private equities, you name it. I do a lot of leadership stuff. And the thing is, I wrote The Power of Positive Leadership. I wrote The Power of a Positive Team. I wrote my defining books that were best-selling books on leadership, on culture, on teamwork. And I feel like those books are essential. And I'll be writing more books from a business perspective that way. Mm. But as I was writing this and I was sharing this, I realized, okay, I could teach high state of mind and low state of mind and just stop there, which is what I do when I speak to sports teams sometimes. I'll just stop with high state of mind, low state of mind, will lower your state of mind and how you can raise your state of mind. And that alone, as I say in book one of the book, you know, that alone will help you. So I broke this book down into three different books on purpose. So it's three within one. You can call them sections, but I call them books. And in book one or section one, it's high state of mind, low state of mind. And I say, if you want to stop now after this, a lot of teams, organizations, companies, sales teams, right here, just use this. It's going to help you a lot, understanding high state and low state. Book two, I now teach you the one truth and oneness and separateness and all real life examples and practical examples mm -hmm. on how to understand it and how it plays out in our relationships and team dynamics in traffic. When you're in traffic, you actually see the other person as separate from you. So you get mad at them. They see you as separate from them. So they get mad at you. You each think that each other's the traffic. When there was a sign in LA that said, you are the traffic. <laughs> we're all traffic. We're all one. So that book too is all about those real life examples. And even, I even talk about racism, that racism is actually mm. looking at someone feeling separate from them and somehow believing you are better than them. When really mm. the more we would see the oneness in each other and how we're all one, that would, that's really the key to, to health and healing for our countries yeah. to know that while diversity training is good to understand uniqueness and differences, I say we actually need even more oneness training. And the more mm. we do that, that actually is going to heal a lot of people that I'm no different than you. I'm no better than you. We are just one. And guess what? Now we can move forward loving each other with, 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 with power and strength together. So that's book mm. two. And then book three is now where I really go more into the science of the antenna behind the brain and then the biblical aspect of it. And I go there because you have to explain it how science, psychology, and the Bible all converge together and all explain the same thing. And science is actually the search for truth. And if it's the search for truth and I find the truth, I now have to share the truth. And I tell the reader, I've been you know, writing for a long time and I've been seeking the truth. And as a truth seeker, you're gonna find the truth everywhere. Like the mm -hmm. truth will be found everywhere, wherever you find it, because it's the truth. So the truth doesn't need the Bible to exist. It exists whether there's a Bible or not. The Bible just explains the truth that's already there. And that's why I went there because the Bible actually explains the truth. It is the word of God. It is the truth. And that's why as you read the Bible, it makes the one truth understandable, applicable, and make you realize, okay, there's something to this. So I didn't tell you, you know, and write this book to convince you Jesus is the answer. I wrote this book because I realized that if the Old Testament is about the separation, and that's an ancient Jewish story, and Jesus is actually about restoration and bringing you back into oneness to the Father, that's his whole purpose, mm -hmm. to bring you back into oneness for healing to take place. 
Well, it would make sense that I would have to share that if I actually am writing yeah. about oneness and separateness. Because how else do you get back to oneness if you're feeling separate? Now, self-love is important. So that's important. We often hear that in the self-improvement world. You got to have self-love. Okay, self-love is important, but but self-love is not going to fill up the God-sized hole that you have in your soul. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect enough. Community is important. So we have to have community. Community actually leads to healing. And research shows that you heal in a loving relationship. Relational yeah. psychology shows us that. So you heal in a loving relationship. But, and Erwin McManus and I talked about this, and I want to give him credit. You know Erwin. I know Erwin really well. He is brilliant. We had a great mm-hmm. conversation about this. I was sharing this with him. He says to me, and I wrote this in the book, he said, can you heal with a stranger? And I said, no, it has to be a loving relationship. He goes, well, if God is a stranger and just a higher power, can you heal? Mm. No, it's got to be a personal God. It's got to be mm. a God of love and forgiveness. And so as a form of Buddhist, if you believe the answer is non-attachment and that's what leads to happiness, I believe you're looking in the wrong direction because the key to happiness is to be attached to your creator, to a loving God who mm. loves you, wants to heal you, and he does it through love and forgiveness. And so it makes sense because we all have a hole in our soul. And I even asked a Buddhist friend of mine the other day, like, how do you heal the hole in your soul? He couldn't give me the answer, but he believed we had one. I said, well, actually, once you understand the one truth, that's what Jesus came to do, to heal the hole in our soul, to make us W-H-O-L-E and make us whole. To what? Create oneness. So to me, I had to share because it fits too perfectly together. Yeah. It is the answer. And again, you know, I would rather not have to, you know, like you said, like I would rather just say, well, you know, just do this, just do this. But then I wouldn't be sharing the truth. So how could I write a book called The One Truth if I'm not sharing the truth? If I'm (laughs) going to write a book, The One Truth, I have to actually share what the truth is. And we know that this is the truth. And again, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to heal and establish a relationship. He came to help us bring heaven to earth and make earth like heaven. What do you talk about? Constantly, the kingdom, Mm -hmm. right? To, to, To literally, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is inside of you. His teaching was about the kingdom and he came to heal so we could actually inhabit and live in and experience the kingdom. And guess what? When you have a relationship with the king, he gives you the keys to the kingdom. And what is the kingdom but eternal life? What is it? oneness, your spirit connected with God's eternal spirit, which actually gives you eternal life and oneness with God. So true Mm -hmm. oneness is all about being eternally connected to your creator. And I would also argue, Carrie, to to all those who may not believe, and it's okay, we're all on a journey, but just as the tree must be connected to the soil to grow and the fish must swim in water, we were born and designed and made to be connected to our creator. And we're connected to that creator. That's when we feel the oneness, the power, the joy, the love, the peace, and the purpose. And if you're not feeling that way, if you're feeling down, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling cluttered, you're feeling stressed, I would say in some way, life, circumstances, experiences, the enemy, whatever it may be, they have sabotaged you. They have caused your brain and your soul to have some hole, some dysfunction, some wound that needs to be healed. And what I'm sharing is the path back to wholeness and healing from whatever you have been through to find that healing. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we should all seek that, live that. We have a mental health epidemic going on in this world. And guess what? We're spending more money prescribing more medications, 
more mm-hmm. doctors are doing more things and yet it's only getting worse. Clearly, we're not going where the answer is and not using or finding the correct answer. Are we good people doing it? Are a lot of people trying in this profession mm-hmm. to do it? Yes, they're wonderful people, they care. I wanna give them better tools and give them a better understanding on how to do it. And I believe the one truth is gonna save a lot of lives, heal a lot of people when people start to put this into practice and science actually starts to test the things that I'm talking about and use this knowledge to actually test and then create methodologies to bring us back into healing. Wow. Jesus focused. John. Hmm. Anything else you want to share? Man, I know I shared a lot. I know we went. You did. It was I, great. I know that. Um, I know, again, this is different than my other work. What I want to share yeah. is this is totally different. This is nothing like I've ever written. But when God gives you something right, you got to obey God. You know, we have mm. to focus more on obedience than anything mm. else. And I'm not big on just sacrificing to sacrifice, but if God tells me to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice. So I'm going to be obedient and then I'm going to sacrifice for what he wants me to sacrifice for. And so I believe in, in doing this work, like, I don't know if it's a big sacrifice, but I just know that I was meant to, to put it out on the lines because I can continue to make millions of dollars writing more, you know, success books, which I will and love the, and love doing that and love impacting leadership and team. I want to do a lot of corporate work. I still want to make a lot of impact. I'm not going to always share the one truth in every talk. I will tell them that we have to be connected to be committed. Mm -hmm. I will tell them that division and anxiety where it leads to. So they'll understand that. I don't have to go to the total answer, but I'll still do that in corporate America. But I realized at the end of my life, I will have wanted to know that I actually shared what I was supposed to share. I know that you Mm -hmm. like to ask people what success is. And for me, it's Dr. David Jeremiah changed the definition of success for me. Success is the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. Mm. And I believe that this is part of the plan and fulfillment of my life to do this work. One final thought, we're not meant to go through life fearful, anxious, worried, and chronically stressed all the time, feeling fearless. I mean, fearful, sorry, fearful and powerless. We're not meant to go through life that way. We're going through it so much. And so many people are going through it. It's actually become normalized. We, we mm. now actually accept it as normal. Like, oh, that's just the way it is. It's like, oh, so-and-so has this chronic illness. Oh, so-and-so has this depression. Oh, so-and-so has this anxiety. Is it okay to feel that way? Yes, because I've felt that way throughout my life. But it's not normal. You know what's normal? Power and joy and love and peace and confidence and courage. Knowing that you have the power to transform this world, the power that God gives you. That is how we're meant to go through life. That's what God wants us to go through life with, with that power to overcome the suffering, overcome the challenge, overcome the obstacle to ultimately live his plan for your life and to do what he's called you to do. And you can't do it if you're weak and powerless. You'll Mm -hmm. do it with his power, one with him. He gives you the power and then you go do it. And that's what it's all about. So for me, I've got to share that message. I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. Hmm. Well, the book is called The One Truth. It's available everywhere. And John, where are you hanging out online these days? Where can people follow John you? JohnGordon.com, J-O-N Gordon. And I love interacting with people on Twitter, Instagram a lot at J-O-N Gordon 11. Awesome. Awesome. John, once again, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Appreciate you.
Well, John's always so super encouraging, isn't he? He really is. We have everything, including links to his new book and everything we talked about and some insights in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 584 to get more. And of course, wherever you're listening, please subscribe. When you do that and you share it with your friends, man, I'll tell you, this podcast grows. When it grows, we can make it better. That is what we are committed to with you. I never take that for granted. Thank you so much. And I want to also thank our partners and encourage you to check them out. We picked them carefully and you've got to check out Glue. Go to get.glue.us slash reach. You can start connecting with people who are asking spiritual questions in your community starting now. Get.glue.us slash reach and compassion. They do amazing work with over 2 million children around the world through the local church. You can partner with them. Go to compassion.com slash carry to get more information. Well, next episode, we've got Paula Ferris coming back on the podcast. We talk about her work on uh, starting an entrepreneurial journey after leaving ABC News. She talks about what it's really like to interview celebrities like Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, and Chris Hemsworth, mom guilt, and women at work, and a whole lot more. Give this a listen. I just, like, I wanted to punch a wall. I was so, mm. I was angry. Um, and I was burnt on my expectations. I had such high expectations of my mm. children and so, of, of what they should be doing, what they should um, contributing. And that was adding to my burnout. And then uh, another friend of mine who's an entrepreneur, she said that when she feels herself reaching those like DEFCON levels of burnout, what she tries to do is, um, of course, you have to say no to things. You know, we talk about ruthlessly saying no to things that that aren't your priority. She said, I realized I had to start weaving in things that brought me joy. That's coming up next time. Also, had an incredible conversation with John Maxwell. I can't wait to bring you. We've got Kevin Kelly coming up, Sharon McMahon. I know tons of you follow her on social uh, Richard Foster on humility, Miroslav Wolf, Mike Todd, John Christ and so much more. It's coming up on the podcast. And hey, because you listened to the end, thank you so much. I want to give you something. And that is my every Friday newsletter. Over 85,000 leaders receive it every Friday. And I send you latest research on the church, but also some really curious things. So I just get interested. I learn best from a multiplicity of sources. So I might send you an article on how Lego is made, or I might send you an article on, um, well, for example, research that shows people who nap have bigger brains. Yep, that was in a recent newsletter, plus church trends and a whole lot more. You can sign up at ontherisenewsletter.com. It's absolutely free. That's ontherisenewsletter.com. I would love to connect with you there as well. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope our time together today helped you break a growth barrier you're facing.